Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. or not understood because of the advancements that we have made over time are now illuminated in a new way for us and that there might actually be exhibits of mental illness in the Bible that can help and encourage us and also guide us in how we are meant to be as modern-day Christians. Now, the Bible unfolds, meaning it is a living text. It continues to bring us wisdom and grant us insight that God would have us have not because it is fully understood from start to finish, but because God is continually giving us new eyes and a new mind to understand it, which is part of the glory of having the heart of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible continually shows us things as we progress through reading it. In fact, the doctrine of the Trinity is something that unfolds over the course of the entire Bible. It's not something that we are handed in the book of Genesis. So for us to go back and read it, having gained insight through the continued cultivation of our rational minds, which are, in fact, a gift from God, also the experience that we as individual disciples and collectively as the body of Christ have received, all help us to look with new eyes upon the text. And so one of the things that has happened, that is more and more Christians have gained wisdom and education and insight in the fields of science and medicine, but in this case specifically, Uh, psychiatric medicine and psychology, they read the sacred text and they see things that perhaps were misunderstood in their day or things that might help us as we are dealing with the modern treatment of mental illness. And so as modern Christians have gone back and read and said, wait a second, this time of suffering that King Nebuchadnezzar endured looks remarkably like what we would call a psychiatric a a period of psychosis, an episode of psychosis, if you will. And I want to avoid using a more pejorative term, which is a psychotic break. And the problem with that is that when you think of something as broken, which is a theological understanding in the church, sometimes when you say that outside the church, people think something as broken must be cast aside or that it can never be accurately repaired. And we are not just a people who believe in brokenness of humanity but we believe in restoration which is the word that's used in the text today we believe that that which is broken can truly be restored thanks to god and god's grace and so it's important for us to be aware of the language that we're using and also to be very aware of what someone may be experiencing one of the deepest struggles for the church about mental illness is that it's happening within the mind it's not always something that we can see breaking down or something we can see where the exact problem is and sometimes the true tragedy of mental illness is that even the one who is experiencing it doesn't have the words or the ability to to convey exactly what is happening they may not fully understand it for themselves and so we struggle with this in the church 
one of the things that is very clear in the reading today from Daniel is that something drastic happened. One moment, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is unparalleled in his day, he was an incredibly effective monarch. He had vast political power and influence. He oversaw one of the largest empires in his day. He was also skilled in the military. He had incredible military success as he took his army not only out into the regions around him, but all the way down into the Sinai Peninsula. He brought them down through the nation of Judah to Jerusalem, successfully laid siege to that holy city, and was then able to conquer it and remove its wealth and its riches as well as its upper echelon of society and take them back to Babylon. He was able to amass an incredible fortune, and our scripture opens up with him enjoying the prosperity that he has received. He's walking along the roof of the royal palace and he looks out over his kingdom and he says, look all that I have done. Is this not a glorious place? And then all of a sudden, something changes drastically in him. He goes from being someone that is magnified and respected, someone who is feared and, and recognized that fear as his power and authority to someone who is feared because of his strangeness. Suddenly, the man that everybody saw in majesty is now acting like someone completely out of their mind. He's not acting like the king they knew. He takes to the field. He's actually eating grass, as they say their oxen do. He's clothed with the dew of the field because he's apparently taken to nakedness. His hair grows out. He no longer takes care of his hair and his, and his nails. His nails become like talons or eagle's claws. And all of this is frightening to his people. It, it imparts to us that they withdrew from him. They were probably fearful of what they had seen. They might have wondered if it was contagious. Can we catch what's wrong with him? They don't understand, and so he becomes very lonely. And for a period of time, he is day by day assaulted and battered by this illness within his mind. And it's important for us to realize that we have learned through our education and through our experience that science and medicine helps to illuminate for us that this is not something that is his fault. Instead, a lot of episodes of psychosis happen for a myriad of reasons. There are people that have a genetic disposition to it, that have um, mental illness in their family line. There are people who have it as a result of a trauma they suffer especially a childhood trauma or a post-traumatic stress disorder. There are people who have nothing wrong with their minds per se, but an episode of psychosis will follow an onslaught of the body. People who are battling brain tumors or dementia, Alzheimer's, strokes, Parkinson's, many of these people will experience a period of psychosis. And while we are so attuned to those who are suffering bodily from things like Alzheimer's and strokes and tumors, when we start talking about the effects of psychosis, in the midst of that struggle, and that's where we as disciples have our spiritual work cut out for us. One of the most tragic things is that Nebuchadnezzar records that he was all alone, that he suffered and that it was only after he came out of his episode and regained his mind and his mental faculties 
that people wanted to be with him again, that they now sought him out, that they wanted him restored. Our job as Christians is to not wait until it's over. Our job is to go and be with people as they suffer, to be with them in the midst of that which is terrifying for them and maybe us too. So just as Nebuchadnezzar records this horrible episode, we recognize this happens. What's at stake for the church is that it is estimated 100,000 youth and young adults will experience a period of psychosis. And oftentimes, the first to recognize that something has changed and shifted in them are their families. And the problem is there's a great stigma around psychosis so that people are afraid to even speak about it or get help for their loved one because people will assume that something has to be wrong with the entire family or they're afraid of what will happen to their loved one that is suffering. And that's about stigma. Stigma is something that the church has to actively battle. Stigma is defined as a sign or a brand of disgrace. And we are a people who are branded by the grace of God. We are marked by grace. It is antithetical to allow one of us to be marked by disgrace. And so we have to battle that understanding. We have to combat it with our willingness to show the world a different way, to use different language, and to be willing to be with those who are undergoing these episodes and these periods of psychosis. It is terrifying for them. It is heartbreaking for their families. And for those that are in relationship as we in the church are called to be, the body of Christ is called to be united with one another. We cannot allow them to suffer alone. We cannot allow their homes to become a prison where they cannot share. They feel that they are abandoned and cast aside and they are made to feel ashamed. Jesus reminds us that on the cross, he didn't just take our guilt and our sin. He took our shame and he invites us to engage with one another in a way that is marked by authenticity and vulnerability in trusting that just as God doesn't take advantage of those things, that those who have been redeemed by God won't do it either. So we have to be willing to hear and not judge. We have to be willing to be with and not stigmatize others. It's a struggle because there was a period of time where the church was part of this, where the church did not encourage people to see the humanity of those who are suffering, but instead played a part in justifying that perhaps they were sinners and this is their punishment. Well, we're all sinners, but we don't all experience this in the same way. So the struggle for us now is to continue to grow in love for one another and to use Nebuchadnezzar's horrific experience as a reminder of what we cannot allow to pass for others. It might have been a different thing if he had experienced God's love and grace or the acceptance of the body of Christ. One of the truly redemptive moments in the story is that after he has his episode of psychosis, he responds in first-person language with a faith in God. Imagine if our interactions with those who are suffering a period or episode of psychosis could result in them strengthening their faith. That because of the reception they received, because of the unparalleled love and grace that they experienced, that when they returned and received their faculties back, 
that they got to experience and give, gl- and give the glory to God, that they were not abandoned, that they, they were never alone, that they knew that God was with them and for them, and so was the body of Christ. It could change not just lives, but the world if we choose to respond in a different way. It's incredible to see and hear the suffering that he had. His words are haunting. When he talks about the fact that only afterwards did his counselors and his lords seek him out. Only then could he be reestablished for he had fallen from grace. And more greatness was added then. It was looked upon as a triumph. How often do we mistakenly respond to people who have had struggles with mental illness by just assuming that the next one is coming? We don't allow them to celebrate that they are in a place of mental health and that they have triumphed over that. Instead, we seem to respond with fear and concern that this is only the beginning. While plenty of people will have an episode of psychosis and never experience it again, instead of creating space for them to enter into relationship with us and find healing all along the way, sometimes even after they have succeeded in triumphing, we continue to reign over them a stigma of when is the next time? So this applies in a greater sense than just mental illness. We are a people that are called to make space. How often have you had a disagreement or a fractured relationship with someone and you think to yourself, I don't even want to be in their presence. I don't even want them around me. I can't even stand the thought of listening to them anymore. Not only have we closed doors, but we have closed off space for them. We are called to be a people who make space for grace for grace to happen and reconciliation to occur. Often we fail to recognize that what the cross really did was create a large space for that. That every time we sin, we wander away, we walk off the path, we shut a door to God, and then we recognize that we need our God and that we want to come home to our Lord. We don't have to carve out a space for that. God has already made that space by the grace of the cross. And we are invited just to come into it and receive it. And then we are called to provide the same thing for others, to make space. And some may embrace it. Some it may take many days, weeks, months, years, or an entire lifetime. But at the end of our lives, when we are resurrected and we stand before the risen Christ, triumphant on the throne in the kingdom to come, don't you want to be able to say, that even though there were those that tragically did not embrace it, you made space. And that perhaps with all of the space that we make, God will be able to build the kingdom here. It's quite possible that the work that we engage in, no matter how uncomfortable and anxious it makes us, no matter how fearful or frightened we may be, that this is truly what it is to build the kingdom. To recognize that something powerful and profound happens when we sacrifice our comfort and our security so that others may experience love and grace, just as we have through Jesus Christ. It's the work of the people, but it's also the work of each and every one of us. It's a struggle. It is not something that will come easily to all of us. And some of us may never really get comfortable with it. But the reality is that every single person whether they are experiencing a brokenness in their body, a fracture in their mind, 
or a weakness in their spirit are beloved children of God. And on a day when many people are recognizing fathers, it's important for us to remember that in the Bible, siblings sometimes became an assurance and a help in the relationship between a child and a parent, or sometimes they became a hindrance. You remember the prodigal son who came home and his brother was unhappy at the way that the father embraced the son who had gone off and had strayed and had experienced sin. We who are in the church currently have the opportunity to instead respond like Jesus Christ, that when people came to him, he embraced them. When people said they wanted to know God and experience grace, he gave it to them. He allowed himself to be a portal to experience God the Father. And we are called to nothing less. This is the holy work that we engage in. This is what it means to be the body of Christ for the world. That people will look to us what we say and how we act. And especially with whom we choose to live our lives. Do we only associate with those who appear to be the picture of physical, mental, and spiritual health? Or do we recognize that from the beginning, the church was meant to be a hospital for sinners? And that all of us are here because there was something broken in us. And God is continually restoring us and helping us to discover new life. So as you might look back on your life and you might think of someone with whom you are fractured, someone with whom your relationship has been torn asunder, perhaps if we were to look at Nebuchadnezzar, we could see maybe something was going on deeper. Maybe something went wrong there. And I can create a space and turn to them and say, we once had a relationship that brought me joy and brought you joy. And I would love for us to rekindle that, to restore it, so that you and I can be reconciled. There is nothing more Christ-like than that. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will be with us and at work through that willingness to humble ourselves, to create holy space, and to allow us to put people first. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.